0: Hey, friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your non diet dietitian, trainer, and host, Katie, and this is episode 239. Now, today we are back with our client spotlight series. Today I interviewed my wonderful, fabulous client, Kathy. Kathy is a graduate of our Reboot Bootcamp, which is our signature 12 week nutrition coaching program where we help women who struggle with an all or nothing mindset really implement a non diet approach to create Habits to create a mindset that is sustainable through any season of life. Kathy shares what food was like growing up for her, what her experience around movement was, how this evolved as she became a working adult, how she had a family, and really shared a lot about the biggest challenges with this non diet approach, with implementing intuitive eating. She shares her story about losing family members and Having a medical diagnosis herself that really has changed how she looks at food, how she looks at her body and the challenges, but also the many rewards that come with this non diet journey. So you are in for a real treat. If you want to listen to other client spotlight episodes, you can check out episode 225, 230 and 235. Again, I am biased, but I have the best clients and just. The fact that you get to hear their stories, that they have the bravery, the, the confidence really to come on a podcast. Many of them have never been on a podcast before, but they want others to feel the same way that they now feel because they've been in your shoes. They've been in situations where they really didn't feel like this was possible. And now you get to be a fly on the wall, just hear us chat in a conversation and I'm just so proud of them. And I hope by hearing this episode, you'll understand what I mean. And I hope you smile and hear their story. And if this resonates with you, check out katiehake.com forward slash schedule, book a free call. We can chat about what the story might look like for you too. All right, on to the show. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food and their bodies. I'll also share my experience working with clients in my private practice to help women find food freedom and body confidence. I'm on a mission to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Kathy, welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour. So happy to see you as always. I'm happy to be here. We are gonna dive into your story a little bit today. So why don't you just start by sharing with us, you know, who you are, what you do, kind of all the different hats that you wear.
1: Well, first and foremost, I guess I'm a wife and a mom, and now I'm a Grammy. I have three grown children, um, a couple of son-in-laws, and as of this last April, a um, grandson who's a delight. They're a lot of my focus, but I consider it my day job. I design buildings for a living. I started like sketching plans and things when I was about 11. And um, that's kind of the creativity of my passion in that. That's kind of the thing that kind of gives me energy is the creativity in that. I also do a lot of ministry work and volunteer work um, with some organizations around our small town. I live in Central Texas and where it's probably a whole lot warmer here than it is there. Let's see that's probably a lot about me. I'm obviously not in your typical target age range of the 20s and 30s, but still still in there.
0: <laughs> well, gosh, where do we start? So, first of all, something I hope that we talk about today too is, you know, Kathy you've shared with me and I think part of how we connected was you know, you are so strong in your faith. And I'm excited to hear a little bit more about how that has intertwined with your non-diet journey. And, you know, you mentioned like your age as well. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. a great thing because, you know, we've had conversations as well with your daughters, like how you have these conversations with other, you know, younger women and your family and mm-hmm. how you really, it's, it's never, I use the air quotes, like it's never too late, you know, but this, this journey with our health really is evolving regardless of the age that you start. So why don't we, you know, kind of rewind a little bit and what was food like growing up for you? Like, let's start there. What was food and movement? Like how did that even start for you growing up? Growing
1: up, I guess it goes back to my parents came from two different backgrounds as far as um, that kind of thing. My dad grew up on a cattle ranch in New Mexico where meals were meat and potatoes and veggies. His mom later on discovered salads, and she even went to a restaurant and bought platters because plates were not big enough for the food she was serving. So you mean she, she bought
0: plat like like at, for dinners for meals? Yes. Or, oh yes, my gosh.
1: Yes, like restaurant the oval platters Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. just regular dinner plates yeah, because there was just too much goodness. And um, she also loved to bake and things like that. So there was always that. On the other hand, my mom grew up in pretty much poverty where meat and fresh veggies were a luxury, Mm. maybe once a week. I mean, she talks about she talked about having a sandwich that was basically bread with mustard on it. And, and that like was a that, sandwich. That was that, that was the it. meal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that was wow. the meal.
1: And then but she also learned to cook and prepare meals at a very young age because her mother was the cook for the nuns. In, oh um, my goodness. I don't know if lived. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Her mom was the housekeeper and cook for the nuns. And so she would not be home until after she had cleaned up from dinner with the nuns. But my grandfather was very old fashioned. And when he got home from work, he was expecting to have food to eat. So my mom learned very young to cook, but, and also to be very resourceful. So growing up, we had my mom, we always had a fully stocked pantry once, you know, she was able to, and we had a garden and so a variety of foods, but sometimes some of that, you know, would come into play where some of her, um, you know, meatless meals or things like that, which I guess when you're Catholic is good, you know, meatless for
0: (laughs) Lent. Yeah, on Fridays and other days. Things like that,
1: yeah. So, and they weren't strict about clean your plate or things like that. They didn't seem to be, I don't remember a lot of food rules from them. I mean, we had, we probably had desserts on a fairly regular basis, things like that. There wasn't a lot of restriction or anything like that. So food wise, pretty good growing up. I wasn't athletic and my parents weren't, um, they were supportive when I, you know, when we did things, but they weren't like the parents in the seats, you know, yelling to go, go, go. We lived in a small town with a small school and if you played one sport, you played them all just because that's, that's just, <laughs> they need,
0: if, you, if you were athletic in a sense, it was translated to all, all sports. Yes.
1: It was either that, or, you know, back then it was like, you were either an athlete or a nerd in <laughs> PE. Yeah. So I played, played all the sports through junior high. And then we moved back to Texas right before I started high school and there were all these other options. I didn't have to play sports. I wasn't good at them. I mean, to begin with, I was just one of those that was like the, you know, I did okay, but I didn't really, I didn't enjoy team sports. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed things more like track or that I could do individually. And that's kind of take, that's kind of carried forward. I've always liked activities that I could do on my own versus a team kind of thing. And then through high school, I was active, but not nothing really structured. And probably into my 20s, I got married young so um, and had kids young. And so a lot of my activity was just being a young mom. And also while I was in school, while I was in college, I worked in a daycare, which I never sat down. I mean, there was almost no downtime and things like that. But once I finished college and... After I'd had my second child, I had an office job where I was much more desk bound and things like that. And that's kind of when my movement really slowed down and I started noticing. And then after my third child was born, and then after I turned 30, I started noticing, getting a little bit more aware that I was weighing more, that kind of thing, starting to become a little bit more conscious, but not really sure where to go with that.
0: Yeah. I like that you use the word awareness because it sounds like it really wasn't something you even really thought much about as far as food and movement and your body. It was kind of just normal day-to-day life. So it wasn't really till your 30s or so that you had that kind of awareness.
1: Yes. Kind of like I probably need to be doing something about you know, being more active now that have not, it's just not natural. And probably in my twenties and thirties too, my mom was having a lot of physical problems, illness and things. And which my theory partly is that part of her problems go back to maybe malnutrition as a child. I can't, mm. I mean, I kind of see that being maybe, but she was having a lot. And I, I always look at her as that's where I'm going to be in 20 years. If I don't At some points they had, you know, she'd had some real mobility issues during Mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. She had back surgery when right after I had, I had, I was in my mid twenties and she had already had a back surgery that put her in a brace for like six months and things like that. And I didn't, in my mind, I didn't want to be in that position in 20 years from then, which I'm not. I, I did counteract that.
0: <laughs> so part of you, that awareness of your body was was more so driven by kind of this fear of, you know, and I think a lot yes. of people listening can probably relate to that of, you know, we have a family member someone close to us who we realize is in poor health condition and isn't able to do the things that maybe we've taken for granted that really does kind of put the fear in us of, wait, I see how... They got there. How how can I prevent this? So so, what did that you know journey look like for you then? Kind of in your next few years, when I started that, I started down the path. I think
1: that so many women do. Of, I need to exercise. I need to diet. I need to do something. And so I tried a bunch of the different, the usual ones. I think I did Weight Watchers three different times. I did Curves. I did. I was looking back through my Amazon order list earlier when I was preparing for this and saw like through the years, you know, different things I bought. I read a lot. That's my thing. Usually if there's a, if there's an issue or a problem, I'm going to read about it first. Mm -hmm. So I went back and like the Mayo Clinic diet, I had bought that. We talked about faith. I looked for a lot of resources and those, I think the resources that I did there, I mean, to back up a little bit. I tried a lot of the like curves or things to try and get me to move. None of them, <laughs> videos at home. I would do those, but it was never something that it was something I could do for a while. But then when I'd hit a hurdle, if I couldn't do it all the way, it was that I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. If I hit a hurdle, something would make me stop. And it was harder to get back.
0: Kind of all, all or nothing. Like once you yes. hit a hurdle, it was like, it took a while to get started again.
1: Yes. And a lot yeah. of times getting started again, just felt harder after, you know, getting out of it. I'm mm-hmm. not, it was kind of a, I guess, a strange thing, but maybe not, maybe something that a lot of people experience, mm-hmm. you know, that especially with the all or nothing is like, well, I've worked this hard and then I had to be got off routine and, that kind of thing. I tried to keep a routine, but if it ever got messed up, a lot of it was just, well. Wow. And then, oh, and my my mother-in-law was the diet queen. Like, as long as I've known her, which I've known her in my entire life, but as long as I've known her as a older, you know, like a teenager and adult. Yeah,
0: as, as a mother-in-law slash future yes. mother-in-law when you
1: <laughs> yes.
0: decided you're going to marry your husband. Yeah.
1: Yes. um, She's always been on a diet of one kind or another. And so they were always, you know, this background of, you know, the diet talk or the, or she was doing this, but she was, she was never like completely compliant. She would be like gung ho, gung ho. And then, oh, well, this is a cheat day or this is a, you know, things like that. So how did,
0: how did that influence you, you know, as you were going through it? Was it, was it a bonding thing? Was it again, just kind of this awareness or how did it influence you kind of looking back?
1: I wouldn't call it a bonding thing because even at that time, I was kind of seeing that a lot of the things she was doing weren't sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I was learning along the way that a lot of these weren't sustainable. They just, you know, they would call them a lifestyle change or things like that. But I realized that like with the Weight Watchers, it would work for a little while But then I would just get tired of not, you know, of just having to count points or whatever and, or look at restricting certain food groups or things like that. So I think it was more an awareness of what she was doing and that that really wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. I tried to find ways to maybe, I was trying to find, I guess, the magic bean or whatever the magic pill the thing, the the, the, that was the right thing me, that yeah. Was, yeah the right thing and so and i and then i started looking at it from you know faith perspective things like that um
0: yeah what did you find what did you find because i've had this conversation with with other clients as well who you know also their faith is is a strong part of them and it makes so, so much sense to me kind of from like that consumer perspective of well, wow, like I use my faith to guide me in so many other areas, maybe it can be helpful. So what did you learn? What was available? Like the books that you found, what, what was your experience like with those? I found some really good books. And a lot of it was from
1: the perspective of body image and that, you know, we're made and, you know, we're made beautiful and perfect, you know, God doesn't make mistakes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it guided me more towards looking at that restriction wasn't the way and that acceptance. A lot of it was, you know, accepting things. And um, but I still wasn't quite getting there. I mean, I found Emily Stimson Chapman was a great author. I've got I have some of her books and follow her on social media still. And some of them came from the point from the opposite where they had gone through eating disorders, like mm-hmm. they had done the whole being very underweight and mm-hmm. I didn't relate to that as much. Yeah. You know, from my point of view, I had never, I had never been underweight.
0: <laughs> so some of, some of the vice or stories didn't really resonate with you. Yes. Yeah.
1: I read some other books. I call it one by Nina Plank called real food that really spoke to me about eating, you know, that you can eat real food and be healthy. Mm-hmm she's one of those, you know, all organic, all grass-fed beef kind of people with that. That was her thing. Um, One of Emily Stimson Chapman's, um, one of the favorite quotes from her book is that low-fat cheese is an abomination.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) Yes. Like it doesn't even melt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, what did you, what was your experience with, you know, like, you talk about like um, acceptance, you know, what about this whole, like our body as a temple and did you notice any diet culture in any of those types of books? I think not so much diet culture, but I think there was,
1: for me, it was kind of like guilt Mm. that I hadn't taken care of or especially as I got a little bit older looking back and like, why didn't I appreciate the body that I had at say, Eighteen or twenty-five, and take care of that body, mm-hmm. and just let it become the body I was in at thirty-five and forty. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, some of that was a little bit guilt-inducing. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was positive. Looking at, you know, things like that. Most of the the diety things. I also looked at it from science. Mm-hmm. I read some. Um, it's a why we eat more than we think, or whatever is. Um, I think is a Brian why I forget this last name. It starts with a W and it's kind of Polish or something. So uh-huh. that's, but all these experiments they did on, you know, perception and how you know, what you think you're eating and what you're really eating. And you know, they mm-hmm. did a lot of that kind of stuff. And I found that really interesting too. Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing about using a smaller plate to trick your eyes. So I got smaller plates and
0: <laughs> I think your, your journey is a little unique in that you really were kind of researching. It was almost like yes. you, you were really doing a lot of research and trying to really trying to understand. It sounds like mm-hmm. less of this fix, but really just trying to understand. So what is it that led you to intuitive eating? Because before we met, right, you had already read the book. You're like, I know what it is. So how yes. did you stumble upon or even hear about intuitive eating?
1: Um, I think it was just part of the evolution of where I was getting to with my research and things. In about what that early 2016, I had gotten to the point where I really didn't look like what I was seeing in pictures. I could look at myself in the mirror in the morning and be okay, but if I we did family pictures and the end of 2015, and I just really wasn't happy with that. And I worked with a coach who helped me with fitness and everything because I was getting ready for my oldest daughter's wedding at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I did, you know, pretty good, lost weight kind of the thing. But then again, I realized what we were doing wasn't going to be really sustainable. I had that goal in mind and things like that. So I kept looking and then um, from
0: sustainable from what standpoint,
1: I guess like with the restrictions and, you know, counting, you know, trying to keep everything straight in my head about how many, you know, like macros and things like that. Or she broke it. She had a really good ways, like so many bites of, you know, carbs or something, but it was still kind of a having to keep track and monitor really.
0: Less diety, but still some sort of constraints around it.
1: Yeah. Yes. Oh, and then I came across a book in, um, about 2017. And I was also, I had also started doing Pilates um, a couple times a week. And I found a book called Ditch the Diets. I had heard the author, she's from Austin, which is just down the road on a radio show or something. I don't remember. And so I got the book and read it. And I thought, this makes a lot of sense. You know, Mm -hmm. the dieting is not going to work. And so from there, I got, I got the book, the first version, I think of the intuitive eating book in about 2018 and read it and worked through it. And a lot of it resonated and kind of stuck, especially about, you know, throwing out the restriction, things like that, but just didn't get that deep into it. It was kind of all surface level. Mm -hmm. I understood, but I wasn't applying it all consistently.
0: Yeah. How does it apply to me? Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. And then So that went on for a couple of years. And then uh, probably around that same time, my dad started having memory issues. And it, you know, apparent that it was dementia and ultimately Alzheimer's. And he had diabetes also and things like that. And so I was diagnosed with diabetes in May 2020. And that really felt like, I guess, a low point that I had... I had gone down that road. I didn't want to go down. I had, you know, things like that. Even though my doctor told me it was probably 50%, at least, hereditary, both my parents have diabetes. So I bought all the books about diabetes and Mm -hmm. diet. And I also, at that started then, started looking at nutrition on the dementia and Alzheimer's way. So trying to learn as much as I could. There and then just really started wondering, well, how am I supposed to make all this fit?
0: Yeah, like there's a lot eating? a lot that you wanted to accomplish. And like, but also I like I always say, once you learn about intuitive eating or not dieting, like you can't unlearn it, right? And so you right. can, just like you said, you probably read some of these books and it's like, wait, but how do I implement this without going on a diet? Exactly. And
1: my Younger daughter had become a, um, she graduated and gotten her master's in kinesiology and was doing personal training. And I was, I think, it, yeah, it was that year. So in 2020, we started, she started, I would get up at, and work out with her at 5 a.m. via Skype. I love that. Yeah. So I did that a couple times a week and that was, you know, that was good for me. I was feeling pretty good with that. But then with the whole, you know, the diabetes and um, I also, I have fibromyalgia, which um, often makes my body just ache. I mean, if I'm having a flare up, getting out of bed is about the hardest physical activity I want to do that day. And having my daughter be my trainer was really helpful because I could tell her and she could tailor our workouts, you know, it could be really slow, you know, slow-mo stretching versus, you know, weights or cardio thing like that.
0: Yeah. Can you share it with, with listeners, you know, how, like with, especially with your fibromyalgia, how often you get those flare-ups and kind of share a little bit about how you've been navigating that.
1: Flare-ups are probably, for me, it's maybe once a month. It just depends on a lot of it can be related to like stress or like an extreme change in weather. That Which can bring it we've on. had a lot of. <laughs> yes. And I know
0: you've had a lot of too.
1: Yes, we have. And it came on gradually starting about maybe 10 or 12 years ago where I had something, you know, I went through, I started having pain. Um, nerve pain. I went through lots of tests. I've had, you know, all kinds of tests and everything. And it's basically, it's just certain trigger points in my body that will ache or that will hurt. They have also what it's called fibro fog where you just feel kind of out of it, not out of it really, but I think the pain just is so forefront in your brain that there's not a lot of space for
0: yeah, hard understand. to focus on hard to focus on other yes. things when you yes. right. Like we touch this is an extreme example, but maybe for somebody listening, they're trying to maybe they've never heard of fibromyalgia, they don't know anybody. It's like your finger touches a hot stove, right? Like you think about that pain. I mean, that's a dramatic example, but I'd imagine is it that similar? Like you feel it. So it's hard to just yes. lock it out of your head.
1: Right. And certain movements or certain Like for me, it's a lot of it's in my shoulders and my arms. And for what I do for work is all with arms and shoulders, designing on a computer, things like that. Or it also can cause sleep disruptions. And for me, a lot of that might be one of my trigger points is like the inside of my knees. And I sleep on my side, usually with my knees together. So Mm -hmm. if that hurts, that makes sleep. And when sleep is it can it can be a vicious cycle? I had this last fall. At one point, I had a cycle going where I wasn't sleeping well because my fiber was flaring, which made my blood sugar go up, which made my fibro flare, which made it harder for me to sleep, which mm-hmm. was just in a cycle for a while there that needed medical intervention to yeah. to really calm it down. So those kind of things, and then of course you know, in along the way, I did the whole okay, what can I do about foods that will help? Anytime there was something I always kind of look towards, okay, nutrition and movement, like fibromyalgia, what should I be doing? Mm-hmm. Kind of gathering information and data. Mm-hmm. And how does this make me feel? Or how does that make me feel? Things like that. So that's kind of where I was the summer of 2020. And then going into 2020, you know, course you know the whole world had shut down and everything going into 2021 my daughter personal trainer got pregnant and our workout schedules got a little bit more erratic and
0: pretty much <laughs> she's like i am not reliable trainer anymore
1: <laughs> no she was not morning sickness and you know, things like that and then once she had the baby that just ended <laughs> yeah
0: she's like it i'm just a ended. little busy mom
1: <laughs> yes She was still, she was still doing some clients in the evenings, but that schedule wasn't working so much for me. Mm -hmm. I've learned through, you know, what us working together, that it doesn't have to be an hour long workout to get some movement in. I break it up now through the day, much more and count. I count (laughs) movement that I might not have counted before or considered, you know,
0: Beneficial give yourself credit for and like celebrate that as a win versus
1: yes structure. Things like I got a standing desk and it's it's nice because it's also it's it's on a hydraulic lift. So if I'm having one of those days where standing is just too much for an entire day, I can still sit down. But I usually even if I sit down towards the end of the day, I always raise it up before I leave so that I start the morning out with mm. it stand with standing Ooh,
0: That's a so. you've never shared that little hack with me. That's a good hack that you 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 put it up before you even leave so that you yes. show up and you don't think about it. I love that.
1: Right. I had I I came up with that one because I noticed that if I if it was down and if I came in and sat to begin with, I was less likely to, you know, just go ahead and raise it up. So I just decided, okay, I'll just make sure it's up every day when I leave. So, that when I come in, when I'm usually fresher and things like that. But I think along the way, I've had to learn with the fibromyalgia that sometimes working out in the morning is just not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I might plan it, I might feel good afterwards, but getting there is really hard some days. So, I try to space things out and work in other kinds of things.
0: Yeah. So, it, we'll definitely come back to this. But so, your daughter was like, I'm sorry, I'm ditching you as a client. Then how yes. did, what prompted you then to reach out to work with a dietitian?
1: It was kind of similar to what I heard. Um, one of your other interviews where I had kind of gotten to the point where I have all this information. Okay. I need someone to tell me what to do. I have information overload. I mm-hmm. want to do the intuitive eating thing. I want my brain to be healthy and my mind to be healthy. And, you know, I need to, I need to manage my diabetes, things like that. And then 2021 started out really traumatically for me about the middle of that January in 2021. My dad got really sick, like started a downward spiral and a little over two weeks later from the time I first, we took him to the hospital and then he passed away. I mean, I think the official cause of death was dementia, you know, end-stage mm-hmm. dementia. But he went, like, at Christmas, he was okay. And then, you know, mid-January, a month later, he was gone. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think that trauma really prompted me to decide that I needed help mm-hmm. in more ways than one. I mean, yeah. I saw a therapist about the grief and things like that. And then I started thinking, well, if that can help with this, then maybe I'm, I was... I've always been kind of like, I can read about it and I can learn about it and I can do it on my own. Mm -hmm. But that really, that whole thing made me realize that I really probably couldn't do it on my own. Mm -hmm. I needed help. And if it was really going to stick, I needed to make an investment in myself. And um, my husband was right there with me. I mean, he was very Mm -hmm. supportive about that. I don't know what I would have done without him throughout that whole time or you know, other people that were along for the, you know, supporting me. But that's what really made me. I and I I kind of came in and it was like, okay, Katie, tell me what to do. Here's what I
0: need. <laughs> Just tell me what to do. Yeah, here. yeah. Okay, sure. And then we're like, no, this is not I think and you, I think you shared with this with me at some point, like you know, you came in with one certain goal or kind of like this is how it this kind of envisioned for you what it was going to look like. And it's definitely evolved. So, yes. you know, what would you say? First of all, thank you for sharing. You know, I know, like your your dad was such a huge piece of your journey and such mm-hmm. a you know. We've connected because I've and I've shared this on the podcast as well. I too watched my grandmother pass from Alzheimer's dementia. It's a horror and it's a horrible disease. Yeah, and you see that and you see. Oh my gosh, that is not the way I want to. You know, so it sounds like you had mom and dad kind of these complex yeah. medical situations put yes. you in this really uh vulnerable place of what you want to do with your health and recognizing that i don't have to do this alone and and you are smart because you you know you research so many things so what would you say you know were some of the most challenging pieces throughout this journey and, I, and we know this journey's still going on we'll get there but like yes. especially starting out you know especially coming from that you know, going to counseling, working through some of your grief, like what, what were some of the most challenging pieces with intuitive eating, especially after that?
1: I think some of the most challenging with intuitive eating was like, I still held a lot of, I guess, food rules or mental, mental things and body acceptance, you know, acceptance of where I am right now, right here, right now. And, um, I know working with you really helped me. It helped me identify those, the rules I still had much more than if I had just been trying to do it on my own, because Mm -hmm. it was easy to, it was easy to skim over the things that might be hard when I was just doing it on my own. I was looking for accountability, but it was so much more than, it wasn't accountability in the sense that I had anticipated, I guess. It's, It was kind of accountability, but without any judgment. There was no, hey, you're eating too many carbs, or hey, there was none of that. I mean, the journaling and the things that we did, and the, you know, the kind of the exercises and the, you know, just the different things we went through together that you kind of led me through or made me think. Some of those were hard, but in the end, they turned out really well.
0: I love that you say that. And I agree. I think accountability kind of has this, at least from my experience, this like icky connotation in a little bit, right? Of like, I'm going to hold you accountable to meeting all your kind of has this, uh, I don't know, like tough love, like you got to show up or else you're getting punished kind of type of connotation. But it was really accountability of just showing up for yourself of doing, like you said, I think the hard things that not in a shameful place, but from a, no, I do want to grow. I do want to learn space.
1: Yes. And I had the, I know there was one that I think that I told you that it was really hard was just like going through like an, in, a judgmental inventory, like of who I am right now, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, you know, just really kind of forced me to look at and say, I'm, you know, I'm okay the way I am. I can improve, you know, but it doesn't have to be, I don't have to change so much I, that. It's more of accepting where I am and who I am and wanting to be healthier and better.
0: Yeah. Coming to terms with recognizing like you can want to be healthy. You can want to do these things for your health at the same time having compassion. So how did you know some of that allow you to manage your diabetes, to to figure out this fibromyalgia? I know we've worked a lot like through that, but what would you say how? How were you able to connect those dots or interweave some of those things, like from what you read and what you researched into kind of how it fit into you in a way that felt good?
1: I think one of the, the key tools for me was the journaling and still is where looking at not so much of what should I be eating or what, or is like, how does this make me feel or how do I want to feel? kind of transitioning it from what I should to more of a, you know, I want to feel good. And I would look at things more like, okay, this might taste good right now, but am I really going to feel, you know, or it's going to taste good for about three bites. So there's no reason to keep going. And some of that sounds a little bit diety, you know, like but mm-hmm. taking yeah. a few bites, but actually the whole intuitive eating of I can have what I want, you know, when I want and whatever, you know, however much I want, but tuning in more to how I was going to feel or what I was really hungry for or what I was really craving or what my body really needed. Even as far as, especially with like the movement and things like that. Used to is like, I think I said, you know, I didn't think things counted, but as far as, you know, if my body's feels tight at the end of the day. Now I'm much more in tune to what I need to do to like stretch it out. Or what do I need to do to move? Do I need to go for a walk to just kind of shake things out? And, and the food, I think of the the food, a lot of that was just looking at it from a completely neutral. It's, it's data, it's fuel. I mean, I still not so much. I hated, always hated the whole food is food is just fuel because it's Mm -hmm. so much more. And our culture and our upbringing and um, i've said before that my kitchen table is my happy place because this is where <laughs> yeah. this is where my family gathers and um, when our kids were all at home we had dinner every night together there was a lot you know and i have brunches with my book club ladies around this table and so food and i'm Czech. so we had <laughs> you know we bake Things together, there's just a lot of things that revolve around food, but I think really being able to learn what food freedom meant mm-hmm. is that I can have things, I can keep them in the house. I don't I'll disallow things in the house ever now, Then there are things in this house that I just, I don't think of food in the same way. Yeah. If, I, if it really sounds good, I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to, I may not even eat all of it, but... <laughs>
0: And one thing, thing. I, I, will, I want to celebrate and brag on you for a second, because it's been so fun to watch you evolve is just what you described, like really being able to be so in tune with your body. Yes. And and I think it's been so fun to watch how that's been able to help you navigate these diagnoses because you really are able to like the fibro, right? When we've had mm-hmm. many conversations about pain is so frustrating, it can create this, Feeling of being like at war with your body, right? But you've done such a great job, and it's it's practice. It's I mean, it's that like you said, that accountability that's showing up. And you you yeah. are such a great student, you know that you really have you you took everything that we talked about and learned in each session that you would go and, and really try to practice. And I, it's been so fun to see you get to a place, just like you said, to be really neutral about food, to be really neutral about what your body's feeling, even when it's in a not good place, it doesn't feel good. Like you've been able to handle that from a more neutral perspective that really is taking care of yourself and, and also how you've handled other situations. Like, I think you've done a really yeah. great job of being able to, like you said, food is such a part of everything. hmm that you, yes. you've you made it a positive thing versus a stressor in those many social situations. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, it
1: does. And two, I still, it still continues, you know, like with the the journal I use now, I, I went on, I have to combat, I went on Etsy. I think I told you this and just <laughs> yes. started looking for intuitive eating journal things. And I found one that I was able to kind of tweak a little that actually has places to put, you know, changes in the weather, and um, things like that. And so I'm able to track my blood sugar and, you know, how the fibro and how the diabetes and everything all plays, even how sleep plays into, it's just, it is, it's like being much more in tune with my body and how it feels and how I'm going to react to
0: how it feels. Mm -hmm. And looking at other aspects than just food and movement, like, like you're pulling in all these other things that do actually impact your health and how you feel. So it's, I think it's allowed you to really look at things from a greater lens, which is awesome. Yes.
1: And I, I really have you to thank for that, just broadening that there's so much more to health in our bodies than just food and exercise, that it really, it really has helped to be in tune with all those other pieces And, you know, find the, take all that data that, you know, we, we gathered and, you know, things like that, and just look at it from a neutral point. And that, especially with the, if from, I went from feeling like having diabetes, meant I was a failure to looking at my blood sugar from a point of, oh, okay. So it's a little high today, or it's a little high at this time. Look at the journal, see what caused it. Okay, cool. I know what did it. You know, I can adjust things like that versus, oh, I failed or mm-hmm. I I was bad
0: and actually able to make change, right? Because when we yes. operate from that place where it's shameful and it feels guilty, like we don't want to I don't know about you, but I don't want to change from that space. I want to sit there. Mm-hmm. I want to wallow. I want to I get mad, right? Like it's just not a yeah. very clear headspace to make positive changes or motivating. I found myself
1: on that thing, like I guess preaching to other people around me when they say something about food being good or bad.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll
1: I'll be the one of the first ones to say food
0: has no moral value. <laughs> I am I am so proud, so proud, <laughs> proud coach dietitian over here. <laughs> yes,
1: it, it it doesn't. I mean. You know, and that applies to a lot of things. I think the other thing that I kind of wanted to mention was something that my therapist told me that really applied to was that I said something one time about feeling like I had to do this something or whatever. And she's like, why? And I said, well, it just, she goes, that's a made up rule. Oh, and I started yeah. looking at every, I started looking at all the food rules so-called food rules and asking myself, is this a real rule or is this a made-up rule? Who made this
0: up? Yeah. Like nobody made this up. I made this up.
1: (laughs) So many of them were like, I could look at them neutrally now and say, that's a made-up rule or, you know, that really doesn't apply to me. You know, some people, you know, there are certain rules like, you know, not eating after a certain time at night. Well, You know, if I'm going to have heartburn if I eat something spicy late at night, so yes, I'm probably not going to do that. But it's not, it's not a rule that I'm going to get fat if I eat after Mm -hmm. six o'clock at night or something like that. That's a made up rule.
0: Yeah, and you're able to filter, especially all these different areas that that you've learned are important to you, right? Brain health Mm -hmm. and managing your blood sugars. You've been able to learn more from the nutrition aspect and filter filter what applies to me what doesn't.
1: Yes. I think that's a really good way to look at it. Filtering.
0: Filtering through Kathy, like a special Kathy filter. Like this is for me, this is not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And
1: I mean, I think it has too. like going back to the faith aspect of just using that same kind of lens, you know, there's a lens of faith that you know, um, that I can put on things kind of the similar way of, you know, like taking care of my body is, it is a faith thing too, because our bodies, um, you know, kind of like that. I think I sent you a thing saying intuitive eating was actually really pro-life because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's honoring everybody, that kind of thing and honoring my body with, um, those kind of things. And, and really, you know, we're not just a soul in a body. We are body and soul combined and so they both need care. So, can you share that?
0: Can you share uh-huh. your your word of the year and why you chose that? Cuz I love I love it so much.
1: My word of the year is nourish. And I'm using that as a springboard to go with I'm nourishing my body, I'm nourishing my soul, I'm nourishing my mind and my relationships. And just kind of using that as a springboard for my goals for the year. And um, it was one of those that usually my word of the year will kind of come to me as I'm going through things. But with everything, you know, we've been working with and then the the holiday Kickstarter, mm-hmm. working with those ladies, too. I thought that's a that's a really good word for me for this year, just to nourish all the things in my life.
0: Yeah, I love it. I lo- I just love that word nourish, too. And I love how you. You can, you can apply it to so many different areas. So Mm -hmm. what advice would you have for somebody who's on the fence with a non-diet approach or intuitive eating, or like you, they've read all the things. They're like, you can't tell me anything new. (laughs) What advice would you have for somebody?
1: I would say that you really, if you're looking at intuitive eating, and if you have, if someone has read the things or looked at it from the kind of a, a surface level, that um, having someone like you, Katie, to to help you dig deeper and really let it soak in is a really good place to start. That kind of like me, I had it I had a surface level understanding of it, but in order to really make it sink in and work for me, I needed the help to kind of dig deeper to get to to get to where I really needed to be and it is still a journey. I'm still on that, but having that extra support and the everything to, to get into it more, even after I had been, what it's 2022, I bought the first book in 2018. So I'm, you know, I'm a few years into it, but it's really uh, being able to get it to sink in and work, work for me.
0: And I'm, I'm so excited to see what, This year rings for you and all the new headspace that you have. So, (laughs) this has been so great. Kathy, we could talk for hours. I feel like we, (laughs) we just have a lot that we could talk about. So, I love to wrap up our episodes with just sharing with our listeners, you know, what's the best? Granted, it's a Monday. So, you can think next last week, but last week, the last seven days, what is the best thing that's happened to you this week?
1: I would have to say, because I'm a proud Grammy. FaceTiming with my grandson when he's learning, he's learning to clap right now. And it's the cutest thing. Thank so
0: God for FaceTime. I love yes. that. Yes. Oh, yes. So sweet.
1: So, yes, that's probably being able to see him. Yes. His clap is kind of like his mom says a lot of times is like, it's like he holds one hand and just hits, it, hits <laughs> it with the other one.
0: He's trying, he's figuring it out. I love that. Yes, he's he's learning to clap. And so
1: when we get to see him on see him on FaceTime this last week. Mm. And just that kind of thing.
0: And it is fun too when they start like paying attention to Facetimes, yes. right? They're like, "Oh, yeah. that's a person. That's <laughs> I know that yes. person." Yeah.
1: Sometimes he gets upset when I, we just call because he can hear our voice, but then he can't Aww. see us on the phone. He'll get kind of, you know, upset that He can't see Grammy while he can hear her.
0: Where is Grammy? Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show today. We appreciate you and can't wait to talk soon.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.